Good morning, everyone. This is Father Nate, missionary priest in Italy. Today is May 14th of 2023, and we're celebrating the sixth Sunday of Easter. Today's Gospel comes to us from the Gospel according to John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. Jesus said to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you always, the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot accept, because it neither sees nor knows him. But you know him, because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, and you will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and observes them is the one who loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. Both this week and last week, we've heard gospel passages taken from the Last Supper Discourse. Today's Gospel includes some difficult passages, but we can break it down and consider just some small pieces, and then how those pieces apply to our own lives. First, we have Christ's remark that the one who loves him keeps his word, meaning his commandments. Second, that the Father will love a person who does that. And third, we have the references to the Holy Spirit. The one who puts love into action, the, one, the Father loves such a one, and the Holy Spirit. Regarding the first, Christ tells his apostles, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And whoever has my commandments and observes them is the one who loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and reveal myself to him. The person who really loves Christ not only knows the commandments, but also follows and observes them. St. Gregory the Great said that the proof, the showing forth of love, is found in deeds. The love of God is never idle. If it's real, it does great things. If it refuses to work, it's not real. Noting the sadness of the apostles at the Last Supper, St. Thomas Aquinas says that it's as if Jesus were to have said, You don't express your love for me by tears, but by obedience to my commands. For this is a clear sign of love. Yeah, don't cry to show me your love. Be obedient to what I say. We can think of, as well as the last contemplation in the spiritual exercises, that of St. Ignatius, the contemplation to attain love. Even before starting the contemplation, Ignatius mentions two fundamental truths. First, that love ought to manifest itself in deeds rather than in words. And second, that love consists in a mutual sharing of goods. Again, it's not that words are bad, but as the saying goes, talk is cheap. It's one thing to talk about loving God, or to discuss moral issues or study the Bible and catechism. Again, they're good things, and we need to do them. But what we really need to do is to live out those teachings. A good measure for our love of God is the love we have for our neighbors. In his first letter, St. John tells us that Whoever does not love a brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Or the servant of God, Dorothy Day, put it in the same idea in different words when she said, I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. 
I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. In Jesus' words, we're made to understand that living out the commandments won't be an easy task. We're told that the Holy Spirit will come to us to strengthen and comfort us, but that the world will not accept him. The implication, then, is that the world isn't going to accept us either, a point which Jesus makes explicit later on in the following chapter of John's Gospel. He tells his disciples, If the world hates you, realize that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world would love its own. But because you do not belong to the world, and I have chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. No slave is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, to know the commandments is perhaps not so difficult. We have the Bible, the Catechism, so many encyclicals and documents of the Church. It takes time, study, and reflection, but it can be done. However, to live them out is much more difficult. Now, this is the battle in our world. Oftentimes, the world tries to get us to compromise, or to be silent, or even to convince us that we have things wrong. It either tries to steal the word of God from us, like the seed sown where the birds eat it up, or when we live it out, it tries to silence us by rejecting, ridiculing, and even persecuting us. This is precisely why Peter, in the second reading, tells us to remain firm. Indeed, he's he's writing from his own experience of suffering and persecution, and he reminds his readers, always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. We could say, know your faith and your commandments. But do it with gentleness and reverence, keeping your conscience clear, so that when you are maligned, those who defame your good conduct in Christ may themselves be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that be the will of God, than for doing evil. Gentleness and reverence. Even the worst persecutors, the the basest detractors, the most hardened, loud-mouthed, angry sinners— are still children of God. It's worth noting that the word Greek word Peter uses for gentleness, prautetos, doesn't have a pejorative meaning that sometimes we associate with the English word. Rather, it's a word that was used for a wild horse that had been tamed, a power that was under control. It doesn't mean watering down the truth, just like the wild horse. I mean, it still has that power, but it means presenting it with control giving the person what they're able to handle, and always remembering to see the person of Christ in them, no matter how marred that image might have become because of sin. Now, regarding the second, Christ twice emphasizes that my Father will love the one who loves him. In both cases, it's interesting that Christ puts that verb in the future, the Father will love. Now, that might seem a bit odd to us because we know that God has loved us from all eternity. In fact, he loved us so much to send his only begotten son into the world to die for us, even before we were born, and fully knowing how sinful we would become. Certainly God has loved us in the past. But St. Thomas Aquinas explains that what Christ means is that God will show the effects of his love. In other words, the person who knows the commandments and keeps them is going to be so loved by God that they'll be allowed to see him face to face in heaven which is the greatest and ultimate effect of God's love. So we can ask ourselves, how well do we try to keep God's commandments, especially out of pure love for him? Do we really believe that he rewards those who seek him? 
And do we really want that reward? Now, lastly, in the first reading and in the gospel, we heard references to the Holy Spirit. In the first reading, Peter and John laid hands on the people of Samaria so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Incidentally, this passage provides a scriptural basis for the sacrament of confirmation. The Samaritans had been baptized, but the Holy Spirit came later, after the laying on of hands. Likewise, in the Gospel, Jesus tells his listeners that the world cannot accept the Holy Spirit, because it neither sees nor knows him. But you know him, because he remains with you and will be in you. While there's a great deal that could be said about the Holy Spirit and the comfort that he gives, let's consider just one phrase, that the world neither sees nor knows the Holy Spirit. Aquinas tells us that the Holy Spirit remains in us through his gifts, but those who are worldly don't receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit because they don't want them. And they don't want those gifts because, in turn, they don't know him. Now, the angelic doctor says there's two reasons why the world and worldly people don't know the Holy Spirit. He says, first, because the world doesn't want to know him. The world loves its own, and it hates anything that doesn't belong to it. Second, however, he says, the world doesn't know the Holy Spirit because, precisely because the love of worldly thing blinds it. And this is what Aquinas says. He says, just as a tainted tongue does not taste sweet flavors, so a soul tainted by the corruption of the world does not taste the sweetness of the things of heaven. Perhaps in simpler terms, and maybe more applicable to our own lives, we're reminded that we need to see God's hand at work in everything. His providence extends to every moment, place, and time. To say, for instance, that God has no part in this or that event or happening is to be a worldly person. It means to refuse to see God at work. And while we pray for the conversion of such people, we recall that God is not mocked, as St. Paul wrote to Corinthians, Galatians, a man shall reap only what he sows. If we refuse to see God at work now, in our lives, then there's no reason we should expect him to work at the end of our lives, giving us that grace of final perseverance. As the Easter season approaches its end, with the upcoming celebrations of the Ascension and Pentecost, it's good to take some time to consider the Holy Spirit and the role he plays in our lives. We can ask ourselves about how we respond to the difficulties that present themselves, the troubles and hardships we receive from others. If we've never received any sort of difficulty, if nobody's ever bothered us because of our faith, we should seriously examine the way we're living, because the world loves its own. Through the intercession of Mary, spouse of the Holy Spirit, let's pray for the grace to center our lives on Christ and to love him both in word, but also, and more importantly, in deed.